And this morning, if you remain standing now, grab your Bibles and go to the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 121 this morning. We'll read the entire chapter this morning. Psalms 121, verses 1 through 8. I'll begin reading in verse number 1 out loud, and then you'll join me on verse number 2. And we'll alternate down to verse number 8. Psalms chapter 121. Beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says in Psalms 121, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this forth and forevermore. And let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. I pray that you'd help me today as I preach your word. Lord, would you allow me to be yielded enough so that the Holy Spirit could say exactly what each person needs? Lord, I'm a sinner. There's no way that I could meet the needs of this many people. But you could use your word and the Holy Spirit to do what I cannot do. May we yield ourselves to the preaching May we yield ourselves to the Spirit so that we hear what you have for us today, please. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you'll look in your Bibles for just a moment, I want to look at Psalm 121 and verse number 1. I'm going to preach the entire sermon on this one statement. Psalm 121, verse number 1. I will lift up... Mine eyes, unto the hills from whence cometh my help. That statement, I will lift up mine eyes. Look at me, if you will. We live in such a selfish world. We as a society, we as a world, tend to only see life as it affects us. We humans are really guided in life by how life happens to us. Isn't it amazing? You can talk to somebody that's having a good day. Boy, everything in the world's fine. The next person, they're down in the mully groups because everything in life's bad. Because we look at life only through what we see. We're so selfish. We see all the mistakes everybody else makes. Yet we don't see ours. We see how we would do things better if we were doing it. Isn't it amazing how that we've trained ourselves into thinking, well, if I'd have done that, I'd have done it this way. We become the center of life because it's our life. Now I'm going to make a statement here. We think that everyone else should see life And the events of life as we see it. We believe that everybody ought to think the way we think. 
We think everybody ought to enjoy what we enjoy. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, how many of you uh, like your steaks cooked rare? Raise your hand. Uh, that, that's the good people right there. How many of you like them like my boot and they're well done? Raise your hand. Yeah, see, you cook all the taste and everything out of it. God bless you. Now, wait a minute. My dad says, I like them the way I like them. You knock the cow in the head, knock the horns off, and run it over a candle a couple times, and it's ready to go. I don't mind that. Now, wait a minute. Some of you are like, ugh. Well, I'm not going to judge you because you like it like eating my boot. Uh, just because you like it to where it's a piece of leather all dried out, I mean, if you're going to eat jerky, don't pay that much money for it. That's just the way it is, amen? If I want jerky, I'm going to have jerky, but I don't want to eat steak and call it jerky, amen? Wait a minute. We think, though, that everybody ought to enjoy everything we enjoy the same way we enjoy it. You see, we think everybody ought to have the same likes and dislikes that we have. Uh, this is going to be very relative statement here. <laughs> we think normal, whatever that is, is defined by how we see life. I hate to disappoint you, but there are very few normal people in this room. <laughs> Careful now. now. Wait a minute. And because we are so self-centered and so self-righteous and uh, so self-minded, we then begin to look to our fellow man for normalcy. We start comparing ourselves with other people. By the way, this is how government gets so much power. We then allow government to be power to tell us what to do. Then we get mad at them when they enforce it. Amazing, you'll pay the police officer's salary, but if he stops you for speeding, you're mad at him. You're mad at him for doing his job. Yeah, he's speeding to get you, but he had the right to. Now, wait a minute. Uh, or if you park in Shepherdstown and the meter goes out, you get mad at the person that writes the ticket. She's nasty. Yeah, I happen to know her other boss quite well. Uh, now, wait a minute. I say that to say this. Isn't it amazing that it's only as we see it? I wasn't doing that much over the speed limit. I don't care if you were doing 56 and a 55, or you were doing 155 and a 55. Speeding is speeding. Okay, I just went from preaching to meddling real fast. After we give government power, then, watch this, we've given education power. Then we let education set the standard of what normal is. They don't even know what a boy or a girl is. And you want them setting the standard? They think it's okay to put litter boxes in bathrooms and schools and let kids go to the bathroom like an animal. It's happening in the panhandle. Now listen to me very carefully here. And yet these are the people that we want to say understand what normalcy is. 
I was talking with one of our young men recently, and he was saying that he wished he could have gone, had, had gone to vocational school. Whatever happened to that? Can I tell you what happened? Back in, starting in the 60s and 70s, they started pushing people to go to college. You couldn't get a good job if you don't go to college. You can't get a good job if you don't go to college. You can't get a good job if you don't go to college. Now watch this. They wanted everybody to go to college so they could indoctrinate them with wrong doctrine and humanism. There are many people in this room that did not go to college and you earned a good living in your life. I'm not saying that you have to go to college to earn a good living. But I will tell you this. Some people aren't meant to go to college. Uh, after I got through it, I got through college in four years. Worked my way through college. And my mom and dad helped where they could. Thank God for it. My senior year of college, the president gets up and says, you know, finishing college in four years meant for kids whose mom and dad pay their school bill and they don't have to work. I thought, why to kill myself then? <laughs> I graduated with more than a semester's worth of credits for my, my master's. I could have finished my master's in one semester. I had my senior appointment with Brother Hiles, and he said, Craig, have you thought about staying and getting your master's since you're going to stay and uh, put, uh, you're going to get married and put your wife through her last year of school? I said, preacher no I said I'm tired he said well what are you going to do I said I'm going to work and I'm going to concentrate on my ministries I'm going to take a couple classes for no credit just because I want to go back and take them because hopefully I'll be awake for them this time he said all right I had no desire to go to more college none it's one of those things you're glad you did it once, but hope to God you never have to ever do it again kind of things. Now, wait a minute. We've let education become a God. Then we allow sports figures, musicians, Hollyweird to decide right and wrong for us. So now we have government, education, and famous people trying to decide what normal is. No wonder everybody's so messed up. Then they look at a guy like me and say, oh, you're weird. Now, I don't have 14 colors of hair. I know that I'm a man. I know I'm married to a woman. I know that two bulls don't have a cow. I know that two roosters don't bring chickens. And you call me weird? Now, we have sinners letting unsaved sinners rule us, and it's no wonder we're confused. Man does so much better when he's not focused on himself. We live better. We have a better attitude, and honestly, people live healthier when they're not centered on themselves. Please don't get angry with me, but there's a higher percentage than not 
that wouldn't pay as much in medical bills if they quit looking at themselves. Amen. It's amazing. I can walk up to somebody who's having a good day and say, are you feeling all right? Oh, yeah, I'm feeling fine. Are you sure? You don't look like you feel well. Oh, really? And then you begin thinking about it. <laughs> and before the end of the day, you're ready to go to the hospital. And there was nothing wrong with you to begin with. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Why? Because we start thinking about it. We think about it way too much. And we're so self-centered, we can't get our eyes off ourself. It's amazing how much better mental health we would have if we quit focusing on our mental health. You see... When we become the center of our life and you're dealing with sin, sin bringeth forth death. So we're constantly focused on the dying portion of life. I don't know about you, but I decided I was going to live till I die. I decided I was going to enjoy every day that I can enjoy. And if I can't enjoy the whole day, I'm going to enjoy every moment of each part of the day that I can enjoy. Uh, We just had our grandson born two months ago. Can I tell you something? It does not bother me to be called Pawpaw. I'm looking forward to it. You say, why? You say, well, that means you're getting old. Yeah, but at least I'm going to be happy. You're the one complaining about it, not me. I I decided a long time ago I was going to enjoy every stage of life. I enjoyed being newly married. That was so long ago, I don't remember it. It'll be 34 years this June. Now, wait a minute. Uh, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed when we started having our children. I enjoyed those baby years. She changed the diapers. I did everything else. Uh, I enjoyed as they became toddlers and the terrible twos and threes and fours and fives and the rest of the terrible years. And then you have about a year or two that's okay, and then they hit the teenage years, and you go through it all again. Something happens about the age of 12 or 13. Every kid's brain falls out their ear one night onto a pillow, and they lose it. And then a couple of years later, they start finding it again, and some eventually find enough to make it through life. Just something happens. You know what the difference between a 3-year-old and a 13-year-old is? 10 years. Nothing else. They walk the same, they act the same, they think the same, they cry the same. Now, wait a minute. I say that to say this. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed when my children were in high school. I enjoyed when they were in college because they left home. I mean, uh, I've enjoyed them as they've gotten married and having children. And they don't have keys to my house and they don't come home every day. And it's just my wife and I again. I I don't get all emotional, sad over those things. Well, I wish uh, they wish they'd stayed this size their whole life. No, you don't. You might enjoy it for a little while, but you don't want to be changing their diaper when you're eighty years old. Now, I want you to notice what God says. Psalm one twenty one verses verse one says, "I will lift." Up mine eyes. Grace Baptist Church, can I help you with your problems? Lift up your eyes. Panhandle of West Virginia, may I help you with your problems? Lift up your eyes. 
Let's quit looking around and let's look up. Let's quit looking to each other or in a mirror and let's look up for our help. You see, God knows what sin does to man. It causes man to be self-centered and unable to see very far away. You're like this. I can't see anything, preacher. It's all I see is my problem. Yeah, because you got stuck right in your face. We focus on our problems so much. You see, <laughs> sin causes us to draw those problems in closer. And we just pull them tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. Then we get touchier and touchier and touchier. I've got to hurry. The deeper we go into ourself, the closer we pull things that are problems and the bigger those problems seem. Today, I want to show you what God has to say about lift up your eyes. Number one, lift up your eyes to God for help. Psalm 121.1 says, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the who? Lord, which made the heaven and the earth. Can I tell you something? If you had God available for every problem you have, don't you think we'd have enough sense to go to him? Amen. I hate to tell you, but God knows more than the government. That's right. Amen. God knows more than the educational systems of our, our world. Amen. God knows more than any college professor. Amen. Matter of fact, God's got more sense in the, the one joint on his little finger than all of man has in all of our heads put together. Amen. He used to get mad at Brother Hiles when I was in college. He'd say, you college students, he said, I got more sense in that little finger than you got in your whole head. Well, at 55, almost 56 years old, I'm starting to understand that statement more and more that he had more sense than I had then. Amen. You see, we are so sinful and so selfish we look to ourselves, we look to government, we look to what we've been taught, we look to our past that wasn't real successful for our help. God says quit looking this way and start looking up. Lift up your eyes unto the hills from whence cometh our help. Our help comes from the Lord which made the heaven and the earth. Amen. By the way, education wants to teach you that there was no such thing as God making the earth, that it evolved. Well, I hate to tell you, you didn't come from a single-cell amoeba that swam around for millions and millions of years and decided it was lonely and then divided and had two. And then those two had babies and had more and more and more. And then it got tired of swimming around and came up to see what was on top and liked what it saw, so it started growing lungs. And after millions and millions of years, it, it decided to come on land, but it didn't have any legs. So it started growing legs, and after millions of years, grew some legs and came out, but its tail got in the way. Couldn't stand up. So after millions of years more, that tail fell off, and it stands up, and now it teaches in the classroom. 
See, that's what man wants you to believe. And they think we're crazy for believing. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It takes more faith to believe in that stupid devolution than it does in God created. Say, well, you're not very scholastic. You're not very educated. I'll put you put it up any day. I'll put science and the Bible together. Science, in order to be science, has to be repeatable and observed. Amen. You can't observe, nor can you repeat evolution. That's right. It's not science. Right. Everybody doing okay? Amen. By their own definition. But I can show you in the Bible where it talks about the wind circuits. I could show you the water cycle that God set up in the Bible and show you exactly how it works. Did you know that we call the earth the earth because God called it the earth? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the Oh. You go through and look what God created and what he called it. We still call it the sun, the moon, and the stars. Land. Oceans. He talks about the different constellations in the Bible. Pleiades and Orion. And on and on. Isn't it amazing what God named and what God put in action is still going today? And yet they want to say there is no God. So, God wants us to look up, not just around. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you looked up to see God? I thank God for where God placed Grace Baptist Church. One of the most amazing places. Every morning I'm here, I stand out on the porch at sunrise and watch God paint this morning sky. Tremendous pictures. Unbelievable color and beauty. When's the last time you looked up and realized God did that for you? Last night I was shutting things up a little bit at the house there and I told my wife, I said, you got to come here. Looked out the front door and the sky was just orange and blue and I don't know other color because I'm colorblind. Those are the two colors I saw, but I knew it was going to be pretty. Can I tell you something? When's the last time we looked up and saw God? Oh, no, you were too busy looking at your pill bottles. You were too busy uh, complaining about how you don't have this or you don't have that or you want this or you want that. Isn't it amazing how selfish we are and we don't take time to look up? Why is it most people don't look up till they're laying flat on their back? Please don't take this the wrong way. But why is it it takes some people to be in a hospital bed or flat on their back looking up before they say, okay, God, now I need your help. Well, I don't know about you. I don't like being flat on my back. I decided a long time ago, I just look up and say, I need your help. Because I don't, I don't want that to happen. I'm not saying just because something's happened to you and you were down that God did that. But why does it for some people take that long before we look up? Why is it that it's not till there's news of a car crash, cancer, this disease, that disease, that then we say, oh God, would you help me? 
Or generally it's, God, why'd you do this? Everybody doing okay? Psalm 123, number one, verse number one says this, Unto thee lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. How come we don't look to the God of the universe each and every moment of our life? Say, God, would you help me? The battle's heavy. The burdens are heavy. I'm not sure what to do, but God, would you help me? About 5 o'clock this morning, I jumped out of my truck. Well, I didn't jump. I slid. Uh, slid out of my truck and started walking across the parking lot. I saw the moon up over here. I could hear the critters rumbling around. The deer were running in the dark, getting out of my way. And I looked up to God and I said, God, you sure do have a pretty house. And I can't believe I got a key. And today, your family's coming. We want to have a good day for you, God. And I began to talk to God. I was looking up while I was talking. I did look down when I had to step up on the sidewalk. I'm getting to the age I've got to look now instead of just doing it. Uh-huh. Now, wait a minute, because I don't want to fall down flat on my back. Mm-hmm. Now, wait a minute. Can I tell you something? A little while later, the sun started coming up. I was talking to my dad, and I walked out here, and I took my phone and took a picture of the sunrise. It was gorgeous. Just beautiful. I later said, God, you're amazing. I walked into this room and I prayed at every chair, asking God to help you. I went to the nursery and asked God to bless the children that would be in there today and the families who would bring their kids. I went into the senior citizens Sunday school classroom and prayed at every chair, asking God to help our senior saints. Went into Mrs. Barnes's room and Brother Scott and Brother Juan's room and went into the uh, Brother Josh's Sunday school classroom and Jamie's classroom, did the same thing. Can I tell you why? Because I wanted God to be happy today. I knew I couldn't help everybody, but I know God can. I know God can. I stood behind the podium in the room behind me where Junior Church is at and asking God to help Brother Lopez today. Reach those children. I say, preacher, you, you do that? Yeah. I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. Is that not what Psalm 8 is all about? If you turn to Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, and thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, the beast of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea, 
O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. I can't tell you how many times I've stood out here on the porch and quoted that passage in the morning. Can't tell you how many times I've sat in a deer stand or a deer blind and quoted that passage. Thinking about God. How much he loves us. What's it take? Looking up. Pretty hard to do that when you're looking at yourself. Pretty hard to do when you're looking at your own problems. You see, the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God in the firmament that showeth his handiwork. So all you got to do to see God is look up. Why is it our look up is the last look we give? Ought to be our first look. We need to look up and see how small our problems are in comparison to what God has done. You know, really, our problems aren't as big as we think they are. That's right. We just think about it all the time and keep looking at ourselves. Next, number two. The Bible says we're to lift up our eyes to see others in need. John chapter 4, you need not turn there. I'll read it to you. But John chapter 4 is a very interesting passage. Verse number 35 says this. Say not ye, there are four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they're white already unto harvest. God wasn't talking about farming there. He was talking about people. That's why 2 Corinthians 1 4 is in the Bible, who comforteth us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort others in their tribulation by the same comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Sometimes we've got to realize that the comfort we seek, once we get the help we need, we're supposed to give it to somebody else. About two and a half years ago, my mama passed away. I'm not going to retell the story. But I remember we, we just had several deaths right in a row. I preached three funerals in, I think, four or five days. One of which was my mom's. And preached church in between there. Sunday morning, Sunday night. I was trying to help everybody in my family. I was trying to help me. I was trying to help our church go through the loss of so many folks, not just my mom. A few weeks later, I had preached a sermon that is now a booklet that we've passed out thousands and thousands of copies to help people in their time of bereavement. Say, what was that? I showed everybody how to get comfort from God, and now we're helping other people get comfort by the same comfort we got. Isn't that the way it's supposed to work? Oh, since then, we've had many people pass. Many. Think of Brother Jimbo, Miss O.C., Miss Lily. Uh, I can go down. I mean, there's others in here. You've lost family members. Can I tell you something? Everybody that's done and gone through it the way the Bible said go through it. I didn't say it was easy, but we get through it. Amen, Brother James? You never get over it, but you can get through it. I still miss my mama. I do. I miss Brother Jimbo. Every once in a while, I need to 
needed him to go tell somebody some words I couldn't say. Now I call Bob. I mean, uh, <laughs> now wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> he said, what are the, don't ask him. Can I tell you something? Maybe if we would take what comes into our life and learn from God what we need, we'd quit complaining to God and find somebody else that needs the help we need. When we help others with their needs and problems, did you know, Brother James, I couldn't help you until I got my eyes off my own problem. Brother Jim, I couldn't help you until I got my eyes off my own problem. Miss Dina, I couldn't help you until I got my eyes off my own problem. Miss Kathy, couldn't help you until I got my eyes off my own problem. And I'd go around this room, I had to take my eyes off of my problem to help somebody else. Then when I went back to go find my problem, usually it was like, where to go? Or I went to pick it up and I thought, it's not as heavy as I remember. Because in the helping of everybody else, I gained strength and often the answer to my own problem. And when I went back to pick it up, it was either much lighter or it wasn't even there anymore. You see, we're so concerned about lugging it around everywhere we go. It's a ball and chain. No. Brother. She's going to baptize him in a little bit. She ain't letting him back up. Wait a minute. If we would get our eyes off ourselves, it's amazing how often we'd find the answer to our own problems. It didn't make the hurt any less, Brother James. Mrs. Diener, the pain was no less. But at least you knew somebody had been through it with you. We found strength together. And then when somebody else had to go through it, guess who was coming up to help somebody? I love this little group of widows and widowers we have at our church. They just seem to kind of reinforce each other. They just kind of have a camaraderie. Say why? Because they know how each other feels. That's the Bible in action. That's getting your eyes off yourself to help somebody else. There's a poem that I often quote. Lord, help me to live Help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Help me to live for others that I may be like thee. Help me in all the work I do to ever be sincere and true and know that I'll do for you must needs be done for others. Let self be crucified and slain and buried deep and all in vain. May efforts be risen again unless... To live for others. When my work on earth is done and my new work in heaven's begun, may I forget the crown I've won while thinking still of others. Can I tell you something? When you start living for other people, you'd be surprised how much happier your life will be. Somebody will call me and say, Preacher, I'm just so discouraged today. I'm down, I'm discouraged, I'm depressed. You're not going to like my answer. If it's a lady, I'll usually say, can you bake some cookies? 
Yeah. Or a cake? Yeah. Why don't you bake some cookies and go take it to somebody today? Well, who? Anybody. It doesn't matter. Just go do something for somebody else. Go take them to the nursing home or go take them to uh, a neighbor. Go take it to a total stranger and just say, uh, I just needed to do something and help somebody today and be a blessing. You'd be surprised how many folks I've done that to and they've come back and said, Preacher, I'm not depressed anymore. I'm not discouraged anymore. Say why? Because you got your eyes off your problem and went and saw somebody else and helped them and was an encouragement to them that brought strength to you to go back and you said, eh, maybe it's not so bad. Can I tell you something lovingly? Life is not all about you. You will have your own problems and have a better care of them if you'll start thinking about others and their problems. Did you know my family faces sicknesses and disease just like yours does? That's why I preached my brother-in-law's funeral back in February. I get it. I get it. But 100 to 1, I'll preach your funerals over my family's. Now, I'll preach my family's funerals as they need and be there for them when they need. But 100 to 1, I'm here. Or more. Maybe we need to lift up our eyes and see other people that need help and quit looking at our own problems so much. Number three, don't lift up your eyes to see sinful and wrong things. Genesis thirteen sixteen says, And Lot lifted his eyes toward Sodom. Oh, beware, Lot. Lot, don't do it. Don't look at the filth and the nastiness of the world and be enamored by it. Ezekiel 18, 6, 12, and 15 said that they lifted up their eyes unto the idols made with hands. False gods. Things that man made versus looking to God. Ezekiel twenty three twenty seven said that we ought not look on the uncleanness of things. Lift not up thine eyes to see the uncleanness. Can I tell you something? Maybe we need to get our face out of Facebook and put our face in God's book. Maybe we need to quit watching Helly Weird. And start getting involved in the things of God more. Please don't get angry with me. But some of us are so indebted that we've got to work all the time for what we want that we don't have time for God. Maybe we need to change our wants and get rid of some of the bills so that we could do the things God wants us to do. You don't need Twitter, Facebook, and the news media. We need to lift up our eyes into the hills from whence cometh our help. Can I teach you not to be depressed? Don't watch the news. You'll be a much happier person, I promise you. You say, well, i got to know what's going on. Then you're not going to learn it from the news. We don't need to look to George Soros, Elon Musk, or Warren Buffett and their wealth. We just need to obey God and watch what God can do. 
There's a chorus I was singing the other day, and I thought of it. Goes like this. I'd rather live by faith than try trusting in feelings. I'd rather trust in God than count on my own feelings. The word of God will never change, but feelings, they get rearranged. I'd rather live by faith than try trusting in feelings. Amazing how we want to live by our feelings. My feelings sometimes aren't good. My feelings are sometimes wrong. But the word of God will never fail. It's not my feelings. It's the word of God. You see, lastly, we need to lift up our eyes and see Jesus for salvation. Turn to John chapter 3. I want to show you something. I promise you in the next four minutes or so, I'll be done. John chapter 3, I want you to see what God says, not me. Don't blame me. I didn't write it. I'm just reading it and preaching it. John chapter 3, you know one of these verses real well, but you miss some of the most important ones right before it. Look at verse number 14. John chapter 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice the statement, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. What is that? Back in the book of Leviticus, there was a time when God was judging the nation of Israel in the wilderness. And he sent fiery serpents, uh, poisonous serpents, to bite them. And if they were bitten by them, they would die. It was a judgment because they had followed false gods. Finally, Moses heard the cry of the people so much. He said, God, is there not something we could do? He said, I want you to make a, a, a brass serpent, put it on a pole, lift it up high. And anybody who is bitten by one of those snakes, if they'll look and see that brass serpent on the pole, I'll heal them. By the way, if you know what the medical symbol is or you followed an ambulance, you've seen a pole with a snake on it. It's in reference to the book of Leviticus, and it's a picture of Jesus and healing. Amen. Watch this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What was that? Calvary. Calvary, Jesus having been born of a virgin, robed in human flesh, the miracle of the virgin birth, as I taught a few Wednesday nights ago, is not the virgin, it's the father. Any lady could be a virgin, there was only one father that could have a child from a virgin. Everybody doing okay? Then you had the righteous life of Jesus. He lived our righteousness for us because none of us are good enough to live our own righteousness. We're sinners. He was not. Amen. He lived our righteousness robed in a body just like ours that could die one day. Then Jesus as our lamb was sacrificed at Calvary's tree. 
They hung him there as our Passover lamb, and he shed his blood for us. They put him in a grave to prove his humanity, and for three days and three nights, by the way, not Good Friday. You don't get three days and three nights from Friday to Sunday morning. Doesn't work that way. Jesus was crucified on a Wednesday and resurrected on a Sunday morning. I have a whole sermon on that. You can look at it online. We're going forward. But that Sunday morning, up from the grave, he arose. He resurrected as our high priest, went to heaven, went into the tabernacle in heaven, and put his very own blood on the mercy seat for our salvation. He did all of that just like Moses taking the judgment away for the people's sin. And as all they had to do is look at that serpent and live. And God says in John chapter 3, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It's not by being baptized. It's not by joining the church. It's not by giving money. It's not by anything that we do, but by trusting what he did for us to get us there. You have the right to reject God. God will not force you to get saved. But may I say one more statement. In Luke chapter 16, verse number 23, the Bible says, And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. If you don't lift up your eyes here, you will one day lift up your eyes in hell. You will. I'll be honest with you, I hate preaching on hell. It bothers me. It doesn't change the truth. The thought of somebody burning in hell, by the way, hell was not created for man, it was created for the devil and his angels. Before man was created... But when man listened to the devil in the Garden of Eden, man chose the same sin that caused Satan to go to hell. How could a loving God send anybody to hell? He didn't. We send ourselves there. I want you to notice something. God sent Jesus to pay our sin debt for us. He did not do that for the devil and his angels. God loves man so much he does not want us to go to hell, but he will not force his way on anybody. And if you reject him, the Bible says you will die and go to hell. That's not God's fault. That's yours for not lifting up your eyes and seeing him. It's that simple. So, maybe we ought to lift up our eyes. A, we need help. B, we've got to get our eyes off for help ourselves and see others in need. We ought not lift our eyes to see sinful things and wrong things. And we need to lift up our eyes and see Jesus for salvation. So that we don't lift up our eyes in hell. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm done. Please, no moving around. Just would you give each and every person here a moment of respect, including yourself. I'm going to ask a very pointed question. If you died today... Do you know 100% sure that you go to heaven because you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Not that you're a member of a church, not that you've been baptized, and not that you've been through some religious experience or tradition. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? You say, preacher, I know that 100% sure. Would you raise your hand, please? God bless you. You can put your hands down. Thank you.
I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you could not honestly before God do that this morning, you've heard the gospel. If you would like to know for sure, would you tell the Lord something like this? Say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that because I'm a sinner, I deserve hell. But I trust Jesus and what he did for me to take me to heaven. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you just now did that, would you raise your hand? There's one. Is there another? All right. Say, preacher, somewhere in that sermon, something I needed today. Would you raise your hand? Oh, my soul. Scores and scores and scores of hands. You may put them down. Thank you. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, you just did, why don't you come and we'll take the Bible and just reconfirm that with you. It won't take but two or three minutes. This is the place to come get saved anyway. If you've been saved and never baptized, we could take care of that today. If you've been saved and baptized by immersion, you'd like to join our church today. You come, we'll get you on the roll books as a member of Grace Baptist Church. Whatever you need. If you raised your hand and God's been working on your heart, how about you come kneel at an old-fashioned altar?